Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that as you listen, you will be encouraged in your journey and that your relationship with Father God will be strengthened and deepened. Here's this week's message from Pastor Claude. So this is Palm Sunday. We're getting close to Easter, and as it was mentioned, Good Friday, we'll be having communion. We'll have a great time together. So what I'd like to do uh, this morning, I'd like to talk about the meaning of Palm Sunday and what do we learn from Palm Sunday. And if you, if you have your Bible, take a look at Luke chapter 19, verse 35. So we are in this series of focus on Jesus where we want to take a time just to uh, acknowledge who he is, what he has done. Uh, we want to create a platform for God to touch our hearts, to, sem- to, uh, to tenderize our heart to what he wants to do and he want- what he wants to say. Can you tell your neighbor, can you say to your neighbor, I want God to speak to me this morning. I want God to speak to me this morning. Luke chapter 19, it's the uh, entrance Jesus when he enters Jerusalem. And it says in verse 35, they brought it to Jesus through their cloaks, on the colt and put Jesus on it. And he went along and people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace, uh, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they, keep quiet, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if, you, if you, even you had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. So here there's, a, like I said, it's Jesus entering Jerusalem. And we know why he entered Jerusalem. It was to lay his life down. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So he came, offered himself, and he walked to Jerusalem and preparing himself for the next week. That's the week of his crucifixion. But um, when it came for a king to enter a city, if he came as a conquering king, he would arrive in the city on a horse. And here we see Jesus arriving on the donkey. In Revelation chapter 19, um, Jesus will be coming back on a white horse, and it's going to be an amazing time where he will separate the sheep and the goat, where he will establish his rule, where he will come as a victorious Messiah. But here, when we see Jesus entering Jerusalem, he comes as to bring peace and to bring uh, salvation. Hosanna means salvation, uh, or Hosanna means save us, Lord. And so Jesus came to, to save, and, and in that story of, um, of, of Luke chapter 19, uh, some people caught it what Jesus was going to do, and some people didn't. And, but what you find here is, um, is the Messiah coming to bring salvation, and actually it's a fulfillment of the prophetic word that was written by Zechariah in chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. You see here it says, Rejoice greatly, right? Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, for your king comes to you. And that's the beauty is that God came to us, right? We didn't go to him, he came to us. 
And it says here that he's righteous in having salvation, gentle in riding on the donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. So here you see the intention of the Messiah. It's to bring peace. He didn't come on a, on a horse. One day he will. But here he came on a donkey. And what he wanted to do, like I just mentioned, it's to bring, bring peace between us and God. So he came to restore us in a relationship with Father. And so what happened what happens here is the Pharisees are there. Some of the Pharisees are mingled in the crowd. And they're saying to Jesus to quiet his disciples. Probably because they thought that his disciples were out of line. Hey, they're a little too noisy here. They're making too much noise. They're uh, too rowdy. Come on, Jesus. They're your disciples. Why don't you control them well? Because right now, they're, not, they're doing what, what it's not common. And, and Jesus responds, if they don't, then the stones will. And if you go back to um, verse 37, it says, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God. Can you say to your neighbor, joyfully, joyfully to praise God in loud voices. It wasn't like this. Loud voices. You could hear him to the point that the Pharisees were disturbed by it. And they rejoiced for the miracles that they saw but here Jesus is saying that if they, if they don't, then the stones will. And what he was saying to his disciple, this is such a big deal, what is happening right now, that someone or something should praise God. And that's what he's saying. And the problem is that some people were missing out. The Pharisees were missing out on the purpose or what was really happening. And some of the crowd probably also. But what Jesus is saying in this story, he's saying that, um, that if the stones don't cry, someone has to re react or not react, but respond to what was happening. And what was happening is salvation was coming to the house of Israel. It was a big deal. It was lots going on. Salvation was coming to the house of Israel. And so there was great reasons to rejoice and, and to celebrate because it was the salvation of humanity, the salvation of the past, the salvation of the present, and also the salvation of those later on that we are in, included in. So there was a great reason to rejoice and to be glad. So, so what we see in this text of Luke chapter 19, we see the call to worship and to adore God and to be caught up uh, by Jesus. When you look at verse 41, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what, bring, what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes, meaning that they didn't see it. They missed out on why the Messiah came. And when we look at the two first commandments that we find, it's about worshiping God only. And it's also, second one, it's about not having idols. I believe the first calling that we have as believers is to be worshipers. Now, we're called to share our faith, absolutely. We're called to follow his ways, absolutely. But one of the primary call that we have as believers is to worship God. It doesn't matter what your culture background is. It doesn't matter how you are wired. You're still called to worship. For example, you might say, well, pastor, you know that Mennonites don't dance, right? 
I've seen that not to be always true. <laughs> but sometimes we say because of culture, well, it's not us, it's not me. But when we look and see what Jesus has done, something should trigger us or something should happen inside of us in regard of him. And what I'd like to talk about this morning is what is preventing me of worshiping God? What's preventing me of living a life of worship? And I, 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 and I believe uh, it's way beyond tradition, way beyond how we're wired, way beyond of our past. I, I think it's to be caught with Jesus. And, and when we look at the story of Easter, when we look at Palm Sunday, it should trigger something in our hearts. And why? Or what is in my way of, of, of worshiping? My number one is because I have a problem to worship when I don't see him as king. When I see Jesus as king, and I come to this place where I understand who he is, that he is King God, it brings me to a place of reverence. One of the things we've done is that we, we've humanized Jesus, where we call Jesus as a friend. And he is a friend, right? He's a friend of sinners. He also tells his secrets to his disciples, and that's what he said. And so there's nothing wrong to have Jesus... Um, as a friend, and we've preached on that, that you want to have Jesus as a friend. And you want to walk with Jesus, and he wants to walk with you. But at the same time, that doesn't remove the fact that he is a king. That he's King Jesus. Worthy of our praises. Worthy to be adored. Even if God would never intervene in your life, never save you, he, was, he would still be called to worship because he's God. Like he's the maker of the heaven of the earth. He is all-powerful, all-seeing. He is, he, 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 he is he, the one that doesn't change. So, so when we look at the Bible, it's very clear. We can find a, a description of God. And so what causes me not to worship? It's not to see him as a king. And one of the challenges I have in my life is to see Jesus as my king. And, and maybe I don't want him to be my king. Maybe I want to be my own king. Maybe I want to do my own life and do my own stuff, so worship will not be vibrant in my heart if I'm the king of my own life. But the moment I acknowledge Jesus as king, and I realize that he is on the throne, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, like it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning, the beginning and the end. It really shows that he is all and that he is beyond. His name is higher. His name is stronger. And you look at Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. On his robe and on, on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Jesus. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's very significant, right? When we think about Jesus. Yeah, he's my friend and he wants to walk with me, but he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so that triggers something in our hearts. If, if he's a God, he's worthy of praise and worthy of worship. And here we see the revelation of Jesus as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So because he's the king of kings and because he's the Lord of lords, it brings me to a place of worship and adoration, right? But I need to see it personally. I need to see it personally. And if I wanted to see it personally, I need to think about do I want him to be my king? Do I want him in my life? Because he wants to be a friend, but at the same time, he's still a king. 
right? It's not one or the other. It's a combination of both. But I believe one of the reasons that we don't embrace worship and we don't have a life of worship, of praise, is because we don't see him as king or we don't acknowledge his we don't acknowledge him as king. And when we do, it changes everything. You look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that's Jesus. So that in the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It, it's a matter of time. And we know this, and you've probably heard this before. At one point in history, as we're going forward, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Why? He's the king. See? So what brings worship in my heart, or what brings worship in my life, is when I acknowledge him as the king, the ruler, the maker, the alpha, and the omega. It's important for us to see that, church. It's important, it's important for us not to lose that aspect of God and not just to befriend God and just make God human, but to understand that he's the ruler, that the world was created by his, by his words. And so when I think about that, it should trigger a sense of worship and praise. Amen? So what causes me to worship and praise is when I see him as king, when I see him as my God. Another reason why we have a problem to praise or we don't enter praise or we don't live a life of praise or worship is that I, um, it's when I, I, don't, I forget, I lose track of the cost and the sacrifice he paid to bring me to him. One of the things that happen is that if you're a believer and you've walked with the Lord for a while, sometimes we forget what he did for us to be reconciled with him. When you think about the cost that was paid for us to be found in him, it's unreal when you think about it. Where God left his throne in heaven and came down and took the form of a babe and was crucified on a tree and was beaten, mocked, rejected, found himself alone on the cross where he prayed, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? And you look at what was done for me and you, it's unreal, right? And so when you look at what he did for me and you, it should bring me to a place of worship. When you look at the king of kings and the Lord of lords became the lamb that sponged, sponged our sins away. It's unreal. He humbled himself to the cross. He gave himself for me and you. That should trigger worship. If that doesn't trigger worship, then we'll never have worship, right? So the reason why we worship and praise and we have worship in our cars and we worship at home and we do this as a church is because we're caught up with the king and we're also caught up for what he did for us. We're in awe, right? We are shaken. We're rocked. Can you say to your neighbor, I'm rocked. I'm rocked. I'm rocked by the fact that God did all this so I can be reconciled with him. Now you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. Crazy. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That we might be acceptable by God. Jesus that, was, that had no sin became sin. Should rock me. 
And the reason why I gave my life to him and you too is because it rocked you at some point that the king of kings laid down his life for me and you. And I want to forget that. Actually, it should, be, it should bring me to a place of worship and praise. I should be caught up with Jesus. I, I, should, be like, I, I should be in the place where I want to worship. And I don't think that the rocks needs to cry out because there's so much people that have been touched by the gospel. And, and there's, there's this response that we should have to Jesus when it comes to when it comes to what he did. In, in John chapter 10, verse 11, and I shared about that two weeks ago, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Lays down his life for his sheep. That's what he came to do. He came to lay down his life for me and you. That's why I worship. That's why I praise, because he laid everything down. He, 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 laid, he, laid, he left glory and that's what it says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 listen to this you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had though he was God he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to wow instead he gave up his divine privileges he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross wow I don't know what to say after that. Like, that should bring me on my knees. That should trigger some emotions. That should trigger my heart. That should uh, bring me to a place of being in awe of him and being caught up by him. And it's so important for us to realize that when it comes to my calling and your calling, what's my primary calling? It's to be a worshiper. That's my calling. That I can, all, I can do. And so you say, so... What am I, what is my primary function as a believer is to worship. And there's so many things that wants to be in the way or prevent you of embracing God and worshiping God because as, and you could give testimonies of that, but if I look at my journey, when I enter in worship, and sometimes I don't feel like it, and sometimes it's the last thing you want to do, it's to worship God. And you enter in, the, in God's presence in worship and you start to praise God and you start to focus on him. It's amazing what happens. God shows up. God reveals himself to us. I look at this journey and I see like milestones or times after time when you focus on God, you start to worship, on, worship him and God shows up in a, in a supernatural way and he invades your life. And I believe that God wants to invade my life and he wants to invade your life. But I, I believe this component of worship is very central. And I think that we have, if there's misconception on worship, we think it's a style. It's not a style. It's about you opening up to him. It's about you being transparent, vulnerable, acknowledging who he is and acknowledging what he has done for you. And that brings you to a place of surrender and worship. And when you are brought to that place, it creates a platform for God to move in your life. But at the same time, even if he would not move in your life, we would still call to do it because of who he is. You still with me? It's amazing, right? So... So why don't I worship is because I don't recognize the cost. And thirdly, when I don't recognize the outcome of what he did. And when we don't recognize the outcome of what, we, what he did, sometimes we say, well, should I worship? Well, you, you look at what he did. The veil is torn. 
I have access to God. I can enter the chambers of the Lord. Listen for a moment. Uh, listen, you can approach God with boldness and assurance. And when you look at yourself, you know that there's holes, right? And you know that there's issues. And God, because of his grace, says, come, my son. The Bible calls us his family, that we are his daughters and his sons. And, 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 and we have access to him. And there's forgiveness of our sins. And there's grace and grace and grace. And mercy triumphs over judgment. I'll just stop here. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Look at the judgment that we deserve. Mercy triumphs over that. Triumphs. Wins. With no competition over judgment. That God shows mercy to us time and time again. And it's like a wave that hits the shore like time and time again. His mercy are new every morning. And he comes and he shows us mercy and grace and compassion all the time. It should rock me in the inside. It should get me here. It should cause me to place myself in a place of surrender. And when, because mercy triumphs over judgment. Like we're good to judge, right? But mercy triumphs over that. That's the heart of Father God. He made a way for us to experience him. It's so, it's so unreal. Can you tell your neighbor it's, it's unreal? It's unreal, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 says, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, he's the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. Terrors of the coming judgment. There's going to be a day where there's going to be judgment. God's going to separate the sheep and the goat. And that's why we're on a mission, to preach the good news. But the thing is, because of what he did, I can know him eternally. You know, that should... Rock me inside to know that it doesn't stop here. I have a future in him and with him. It's amazing, right? Like I said, when it comes to who we are in John chapter 1, verse 12, yet to all who receive them, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right. He gave the right to become children of God. Like, it's like you didn't have the right, you know, but he gave you the right. He gave you... You, yes, you can. You say, well, God, uh, I, I, I don't think I can. I, I don't deserve it. But God says, yes, you can. Give you the right. So that should rock my life and rock my world, right? Same thing with 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Can you see your neighbor? Lavished on us. Lavished on us. Washed over us. Lavished on us. Unreal, eh? What an amazing gospel. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. <laughs> Come on, give me a smile. It's unreal. This is unreal. You know, sometimes we sit on that and we don't realize how this is such an awesome good news. That's a trigger in my heart, a desire to share my faith, but especially a desire to worship him and praise him and to lift up the roof of my home and my car and my church. Because he's amazing. He's unreal. So I cannot just go through the motion and lose track of my awesome, beautiful, glorious Jesus that did everything for me to be restored with, with him, all the promises that comes with that. My last point is, what, 
what would cause me not to praise him is when I don't rec- recognize how personal it is. You know, one of the reasons that I don't praise him is that I forget that he's, from the day I was conceived, he's after me. Think about that. For the moment you were thought, taught in the heart of God, he's after you. It's so personal. The gospel is so personal. It's so, it's you. He knows you. He knows the amount of hair you have on your head. He knows the details of your life. And he's after you. So when you think about God, the maker of the universe, the king of kings and the Lord of lords is after me. There I go. There I go. There I go. Because it's unreal. Right? And the gospel is personal. You look at the gospel of John where Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. It's not... We see him minister to the crowd, but he's after eyes. He's after hearts, right? He sits with Nicodemus, and he tells the story of the good news. Then he sits with this lady, the Samaritan woman that is living in sin, and, and he talks about worship and spirit and truth. He ministers to her. So Jesus, he's personal. He wants to speak to you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to guide you. He he, he wants in. And that's the story of the gospel and the Bible, how God wants to be with us. And the problem is that we say no. That's what we do. We want it to be with Israel, and they want to have a king. We want it to be with Adam and Eve, but no, they wanted to have more knowledge. You see? God always wanted to to be with us, and that is desire. So when you think about God wanting to be personal, and desiring to be in your bubble. Like we know now, it's a little harder when it comes to COVID, right? There's no more COVID restriction. You find it hard to have people in your bubble. But Jesus wants you to be in your bubble. Pretty amazing, right? Jesus, come in my bubble, right? But he wants to be in my bubble. And I think that brings so much praise and worship when we stop at that detail that God wants to be so personal, right? So how can I, exp- how can I experience worship? Because it's hard for me to see him as the king and to see him as the one that did all this for me and to see the benefit of it and to see it personal if I don't have him encountering me. I, I, I need to see him encountering me. How do I experience worship? It's when God becomes real to me. And how does he become real to me? Is when I open up to him on a personal way. And this is where the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus. I, I can guarantee you this, all of you, wherever you are on the scale of life, wherever, what, doesn't matter how, what's your age, that if you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. And that's the story that we find in Luke chapter 19 when Jesus is entering Jerusalem. He's entering Jerusalem. He's entering the life of his people. He enters into my life. He enters into your life. What am I going to do? Am I going to let him in? Am, gonna, am I going to seek him? Am I going to desire him? And the thing is, I can guarantee you that if you, because God is not a respecter of people. God doesn't love more one than the other. It's for all. But I, I can guarantee you, it's the third time I say this, right? That you would, if you draw close to him and you seek after him and you desire him, it's going to be personal. And because it becomes personal, it changes the way you'll do worship, right? Because if you come here and we have worship, it's not personal. It doesn't get a hold of your heart. But if, when it becomes personal, it rocks you on the inside. 
So you got to say, Holy Spirit, I want Jesus to be real in my life. I want it to be personal because I want to see him as my king. I want to see his love. I want to see the benefit of the cross. I want him in my daily life. So I believe when we think about um, Palm Sunday, it's the entry of Jesus into humanity. And that's, that only happens by the cross. And Jesus wants to be real in my life and your, your life. It has to be, become personal. When it's personal, it changes the way I will worship. I like the example of David, King David. King David is um, called a worshiper, and we see the songs he wrote, right? And um, there's an event in his life where uh, for many, for, for a long period of time, he wants to see the Ark of the Covenant come to Jerusalem. And we know that David had a heart for God. We see him worship the Lord, right, with his harp. We see him do amazing things when it comes to uh, the calling that God has placed on him. We see him defeat Goliath, right? What a story. We see him, uh, we see the, 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 the Psalms he wrote when he was in the wilderness, when he was hunted down by King Saul. And, and, but one of the things we know that is David had a relationship with God. And when he says, one day in your courts is a b- better than a thousand elsewhere, you can see that there was a, there was a desire for God and, and God was real in his life. But what really amazes me with the, with the story of the Ark of the Covenant is that he worked hard to see the Ark of the Covenant coming back to Jerusalem. And the Ark of the Covenant um, is, sums up, or what it meant, is God's presence. He was so pumped to see the Ark of the Covenant to come to Jerusalem. He, like, he lost it. He really did. Like That was his ultimate goal. Is if God, we, you want to dwell with us. So what he did, he did this, this procession, and he, he got the worshipers and all that, and, and, and then they, they entered Jerusalem, and then he started to dance like a madman. He was caught up with God. He was so pumped that God was coming into the house that he just rejoiced and he just celebrated. And then you have his wife that said, you're making a fool of yourself. He said, I prefer to be undignified to you before you, but I have to worship God. You know, I have to worship God. I, I like that picture, and I say, God, make me a David, or I'm so caught up with you, I'm so excited that you're in my house, that you want to be part of my life, that I won't care what people say, I won't care what people think, I'm just going to worship God because I was made for that. You see? It's, that's why we have church in this way. It's because God is in the house. Right? God is in the house. What do you do when God is in the house, right? So what do you do when God is in the house? You do like David. You don't care. Well, it's not my tradition. I don't care about your traditions. Well, it's not my style. I don't care if it's your style or not. He's the king. He laid his life down for you. He placed a table before you of all the promises. He makes it personable. Don't tell me it's not your style. Don't tell me it doesn't work for you. You have to be caught up with him. Just organic. It's just normal that it would because he's so awesome, right? 
And there's, I was thinking about what kind of illustration I can give with that. I can't. Because <laughs> if I don't get that, then I don't get nothing. I need to realize that God is amazing. And, and David just lost it. And you, you think about Paul and Silas in prison. Like they're in prison. And they were treated unjustly. Like Paul was a Roman citizen. He was treated like he was not. He was beaten. And he was, again, like I said, in prison. And they're there worshiping God in a prison. So who does that? Right? And the, the other jailers or the other prisoners probably say, crazy. <laughs> crazy bunch of Christians, right? Worshiping in the prison. It's because it's personal. It doesn't matter where you are. God is there. It doesn't matter what you're facing. God is there. And what they did, he started to praise and worship God. And what is the result? The prison's door opened up. And the jailer gave his life to the Lord. There was a mini revival in the prison, in, surrounding the prison. You know, based on what? Based on making God personal and based on responding to God through praise and worship. My last example is the story of, of Mary. Just before Jesus was walked to Jerusalem in, in uh, Luke chapter 19, and we find the story in John 12, verse 3. It says that Mary took about a pint, 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 there you go. Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I like that aspect. The, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, right? And Jesus says that this story will be told from gener for generations to come because of what she did. But then you have Judah that didn't get it. Like we should have kept that money and kept it for the poor, but actually was selfish because what he did, he was stealing from the purse, and what he wanted to do was to buy a land, and uh, tradition will say that there was 30 um, pieces of silver needed to pay the land that he killed himself on. It was, a, it was a good land because it was known for its clay. So all this time, Judah's following Jesus, but he has an agenda. He's building his own thing. And he's thinking about the land. He's thinking about money. And, and here, he's totally different from, from Mary, where Mary takes perfume that is worth uh, a year worth of wages, and she's just caught up with Jesus, and she just pours perfume all over the feet of Jesus, and she starts to wash Jesus' hair, uh, feet with, his, uh, with her hair. And, and, and she realized what Jesus is going to do. He's going to die. She understood. She's got that revelation of what, what Jesus was about to do. And, and, and Jesus is blessed by that. You know? Like, even for him to go to Jerusalem was, hey, it was not an easy thing when he was in Gethsemane. He was saying, God, Father, can you remove this cup? If I don't have to drink this cup, God, is there a way out? And then he says, not my will, your will. And then he's encouraged by this lady that just pours love at his feet and and, and, and I look at this and I say, God, I want to be like this. I want to be like Mary with extravagant love. That it's not, I'm not building my kingdom. I'm not trying to do this and trying to manipulate this and manipulate that. But I'm just caught up with Jesus. And, and why was she caught up with Jesus? Because she learned to know him. And, and even she did not even realize the extent of what it was going to, how it was to, going to rock their lives. And I think that was revealed by the Holy Spirit when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. But just to say, people, when we look at Palm Sunday, it's about worship. The king is entering the town, and the, if, if the people won't, 
The rocks will because someone has to do something. Someone has to speak out. Someone has to praise. And my prayer is that in your life, in my life, in the life of the church, we would cultivate praise and worship. We would realize that's our primary call, that we're called to give glory and honor to God. Why? Because he's the king of kings and Lord of lords. Because he loved me that he laid his life down. Because of the blessing and the promises. And finally, because it's personal. He wants me. (laughs) He wants me and you in the fold. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.